You're listening to an IOE podcast from the UCL Institute of Education. Powered by UCL Minds. Hello and a very warm welcome to this event with Dr. Jamie Frost, winner of the 2020 Global Teacher Prize COVID Hero Award. My name is Professor Sue Rogers, Director of the IOE and your chair this evening. Particularly warm welcome to Jamie. Thank you for spending time with us this evening. We really appreciate this opportunity to hear from you. We're always delighted to work with the Varki Foundation to celebrate and champion the work of teachers and the vocation of teaching. The Global Teacher Prize COVID Hero Award provides another opportunity to do just that. In terms of how we're going to run this event, I'll briefly introduce our speaker, and after that, we'll show a short video of Jamie at his school to set the scene. I'll then kick off the conversation, but we're here to respond to your questions. So please send us your questions and comments using the Q&A facility on Slido. You can also tweet about the event, please do, with the hashtag TeacherPrize. So first, let me introduce Jamie. Having started out in AI research and coding, trading algorithms for an investment bank, Jamie made the leap into teaching eight years ago, after which, as they say, he has never looked back. His passion is to inspire and engage all maths learners across the ability spectrum, regardless of financial background. Alongside his work as a maths teacher at Tiffin School in South London, some five years ago, Jamie established the online learning platform, Dr. Frost Maths, to support learners and teachers. It features an ever-growing bank of teaching resources and videos, as well as a suite of exam questions to practice with, all of which can be accessed for free. As the COVID pandemic closed schools around the world, the site proved its worth even more. To date, it has had 9.2 million resource downloads. That's really fantastic. And I'm sure that number's going up as we speak. These fantastic, tireless and painstaking efforts have received much deserved recognition. In 2018, Jamie won a Gold Pearson Teaching Prize. In 2020, he reached the top 10 for the Varki Foundation Global Teacher Prize and was awarded the Global Teacher Prize COVID Hero Award in special recognition of someone who has gone above and beyond to keep young people learning during the COVID-19 pandemic. Many, many congratulations to you, Jamie, and thanks from us all. So before we put our questions to Jamie, let's take a look at his work in more detail with a short video. 10 years ago, I was developing technology for artificial intelligence and robotics I was writing trading algorithms for investment bankers. But now I use technology to help students improve in their learning and to help me become a better teacher. My name is Jamie Frost. I'm a teacher at Tiffin School in London.
So after my undergraduate degree, I did a four-year master's, uh, I went to work for an investment bank and um, it's quite a glamorous lifestyle. Um, I was in New York for a bit with an apartment over uh, the Statue of Liberty and I was coding uh, trading algorithms for bond traders and that probably sounds quite interesting but my job was pretty soul-destroying uh, and you just kind of feel like a tiny cog in a big wheel. Well, I actually went to Tiffin School for uh, two years in sick form and um, so I was quite familiar with the school and I, I contacted them saying could I just spend a few weeks of holiday at the school and maybe teaching some lessons and observing. I said absolutely come over and just when I was in the classroom and in front of students I just realised I absolutely loved it. I resigned within a week from my job and, and that, was, that was what decided it. After those two weeks I knew that teaching was right for me. So we do sine of the angle is equal to the opposite over the hypotenuse. And then what could we use at that point in one step to work out x? I think what was important when we interviewed him was that he wanted to teach. You could see from the word go that it was his passion from teaching uh, that, that was really important. But that skill set uh, as, a, as a computer scientist is what's enabled him not just to teach his students here brilliantly, but he's been able to make that something that he's shared with the whole world. Almost 8,000 schools have had someone log in to my site within the last two years. And I just recently reached the one millionth user. Dr. Frost Maths is free and it's online. And most of the world's population right now owns an electronic device and is connected to the internet. So anyone can log on to Dr. Frost Maths and start learning. Dr. Frost is like a secondary teacher that you've also got at home. The fact that you're able, you're able to actually go and utilize those particular videos and have another class if you want to. It's helped make it a lot easier easier for a lot of students because it's easier we started to enjoy maths a little bit more as well. Dr Frost Maths has enabled thousands of schools across the world to cope with Covid, uh, to keep going, to keep teaching. Uh, some teachers have actually found that, that some things they're able to do far more effectively. The combination of Dr Frost Maths and Covid I, I think has changed the way many people will teach maths forever. It should say on screen what your rank was. I just love the variety that comes with teaching. Um, I love the interaction with students in the classroom. Um, I love spending time uh, just coming up with creative ideas for uh, lesson planning. Um, I love being able to use my knowledge of programming to develop new technologies. And yeah, I just love working with students. When I compare it to my previous days in investment bank, I, I wouldn't have anything else really. He, he is a full-time teacher, day in, day out, delivering lessons, and then he goes home and does this on top of whatever else he's doing. That, that's pretty amazing. Wow, Jamie. <laughs> That was incredible and so inspirational, and I'm sure it's inspiring our audience. We're getting lots of questions coming in already. Um, so much in there, uh, and what's come through for me is the kind of passion for teaching, 
And I think that's something that we see in many of our really uh, amazing student teachers that come to the IOE. It's, it's a real commitment and something that just drives you on um, that you, you, know, you want to make a real difference. So that came through strongly for me. Um, yeah, and, and you can play the piano brilliantly. And I'm really jealous because you know, I'm a very rusty pianist and it's made me think I'm going to go away and practice now. But that was beautiful as well. Fantastic. So, so why don't we then um, uh, start with uh, a question that I wanted to ask you, actually, just to get us going. And, and I suppose it reflects a little bit on my experience as a teacher, but also uh, on my own experience of learning mathematics. Um, so taking you right back to the beginning, what was it that led you, do you think, to a love of maths? Um, well, I was quite into mathematics as, as, as a youngster. Um, in fact, in my secondary, well, in my primary school, um, I remember my teacher just giving me sort of a book so I can do sort of my own mathematical investigations and, and sort of not having to take part in the lessons as such. Uh, in fact, the same thing happened at secondary school as well. Um, and I think it's partly what motivated me to make Dr. Frost Maths. So actually, okay, I was quite a bright mathematician. I loved doing my little investigations and such, but um, it would have been great if I had a tiny bit more support at school, at primary school, secondary level, um, where I could have been given appropriate tasks or, or kind of just the right kind of, uh, kind of curriculum and, and sort of activity, differentiated activities that were kind of right for me. Um, and, um, so Dr. Ross Mass, as, as you saw in the video, is trying to cater for all ability levels. So I work with a lot with the uh, UK Mathematics Trust in making their sort of backlog of questions available for Olympiad and Maths Challenge level. Um, and, um, and a lot of the questions available on the site are, are engineered for upper ability level uh, students as well. So um, yeah, no, but I was just really into mathematics. I, I remember like one investigation I did into perfect numbers where I tried to find the, the largest perfect number I could with just a calculator. And I, I think I got up to about like 40 digits and I even wrote a little computer program to, uh, to sort of try and hunt them down for me. So that, that was quite fun. Um, but no, I, I've, I've been into mathematics since I was very young. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear it. I mean, we know, don't we, that the impact that teachers can make, you know, if a child has a particular interest or a particular talent in something but it's very easy for them uh, to to either switch off or to grow that interest and, mm. and that's a real challenge for all of us and some of us will have experiences of that our, ourselves and there are some questions coming in around uh, children who struggle with maths but so maybe we'll come mm. back to that in a moment because I think that's a really a really hot topic um, but um, just pursuing uh, this move into teaching and uh, from the kind of more corporate role you had was teaching something that you only considered after your experience at Tiffin or had you had you thought about going into teaching before before you went into the city? I'll be I'll be super honest it, it wasn't something that I kind of ruled against it was just something I hadn't really considered um, I flirted with a number of kind of career opportunities like actuary was one of them uh, I even considered like the civil service fast stream or whatever but um uh, and then sort of thought about programming because my, my degree was computer science. Um, so I hadn't even really considered teaching. I think maybe because um, when I was doing on my undergraduate uh, degree, I wasn't, it just seems surprising now because I'm, I'm relatively confident in sort of speaking in front of people, but um, I was really timid and, and sort of couldn't, I couldn't speak in front of a crowd at all. Um, so it's just quite amusing that I ended up in teaching really. Um, it wasn't really until my, um, PhD days um, where I got quite into departmental teaching and realised oh actually this is something I really love um, and when I considered actually 
uh, embarking on that as a career. Mm. And, and I mean, what other different intellectual challenges do you think between working in the, the corporate role you had and in teaching? Are there transferable skills there? How do you see the relationship between those two different paths that you've taken in your career to date? Um, I think there's, there's kind of the skills I've used for teaching, but also the skills for Dr. Ross Mouse. So it's quite unusual in that I'm still doing a whole load of programming um, for my sites and solving problems that are harder than I've dealt with in my PhD. Um, but I still think there's kind of quite a number of transferable skills from, uh, for example, um, my corporate days even. So um, sort of working with traders, trying to kind of get to the heart of um, what they want and such and, and what um, and get, I don't know, it's kind of quite hard to answer. But there's some sort of generic skills, I think, in terms of dealing with other people and like they've got something in their head they want and, and trying to kind of establish what that is. It's the same with students, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Um, so I'm now going to just pick up on a couple of the, the questions are coming in. This one doesn't have a name on it. I mean, if you just to the audience, if you'd like me to say who you are and where you're from, please let us know. But this one is about those children who struggle and young people mm. who struggle with math. So, you know, obviously you're very adept at mathematics. That's evident. Um, so how easy do you find it to put it yourself in the shoes of someone who struggles with maths? Um, can you talk us through uh, how you approach that? Yeah, because admittedly, I, I teach a grammar school um, and we, we still have a tail end. And I, I often for GCC teach the sort of low ability sets. Um, but, but admittedly, that's not quite the same as other schools. I'm, I'm quite lucky that I have quite a lot of tutoring experience on the side. Um, that's something I'm, I'm finally cutting down. But um, it's meant I've worked with a, a wide range of students from um, the, the very bottom sets of comprehensive schools to students very high up the autistic spectrum. Um, and, and it's really interesting to see how different students think. And, and for some students, it's just kind of getting basic numeracy right and sort of mental strategies for kind of dealing with subtractions and stuff and, and getting them adept with number bonds. Um, and it's other students who are quite good at sort of numeracy and it's sort of the processing difficulties like taking um, kind of multi-step questions with lots of text in it and trying to sort of draw out the kind of ideas from it. Um, so it's, it's quite a challenge. And, and I think it's that kind of experience that sort of helped me sort of develop my site because one of the criticisms leveled at my platform is that, okay, you've got all these exam questions and stuff that you've got from exam boards, but um, for many students, actually that, that's kind of not suitable. And, and that's why, for example, I've developed something called the key skills platform. Um, and it automatically generates um, questions for very specific question types. We've got about 700 of these random question generators, everything from like number bonds to sort of like your, even like further maths topics at A-level. Um, and with it, it's kind of trying to support students as much as possible. So um, there's a kind of very short sub four minute video kind of going through a, a worked example, which is almost identical to the kind of uh, questions that we get for that particular kind of question. Uh, if they get it wrong, then it has very detailed feedback for that specific randomly generated question. Um, so it's kind of trying to support students as much as possible. And, and knowing how to explain those kind of questions, um, kind of, I think just comes from experience of, of knowing how different learners think, uh, the, the kind of misconceptions they have. Um, but I've, I've just found that really that okay, all learners are different, but it's typically the same kind of 
set of um, struggles that students have and the same misconceptions they have that I think are common to many students. So although there's so much variety, I think there's so much in common when it comes to um, students' struggles and, and, and what they understand and how they visualise mathematics. So when you're, yeah, so, so when you're doing face-to-face -face and then you're doing your, um, of course, we've done the big online thing recently, <laughs> which you know and know about, and we've talked about before before this uh, event, but also the the um, uh, Dr. Frost uh, platform. I mean, it, pedagogically, how do you approach the kind of different areas, the different ways of working um, for those children who have very mixed abilities? Um, I think, well, I think my mantra with teaching is, is it's from um, every child matters and it's like enjoy and achieve. Um, and then when it comes to sort of uh, well, enjoying, obviously, there's many ways we can do that. But um, with achieving, it's I think the, the two key things with teaching for me is like thinking about um, how do we communicate the concept? And then secondly, how do we ensure that the students understand that concept and, and have adequate pr practice of that new thing that they concept that they've learned? Um, and I think um, trying to ensure that um, all learners will understand that, I think is getting the scaffolding right, uh, firstly, of the teaching. Like we can sort of have all sorts of differentiated exercise and stuff, but you have to get the kind of subject knowledge for teaching right. And I think it's so crucial to think really carefully exactly how we communicate in the concept, exactly how we tell that story of each mathematical concept. I think if you get that right, then you make that mathematical concept um, sort of accessible to a wide variety of students. Um, and that there's still, that brings some challenges. There's some students who still won't get it. And then you have to sort of kind of consider your kind of intervention strategies there within the class or, or after. Um, but I think if we get the initial pedagogy right in terms of how, as a teacher, we communicate that. And I think that's sometimes often undervalued. We, we think so much about, um, sort of like different kind of creative assessment for learning strategies and stuff. Well, I think the most important thing in teacher is communicating a concept effectively and, and getting that story that of, of, of that concept you're explaining right. Thanks, and lo lots more questions coming in. So I'm gonna try and sort of um, make sure that we cover the topics that are coming through. Um, there were quite a lot of questions about uh, students struggling um, if they couldn't grasp a particular concept, but I think you've covered that that really well for us. Um, uh, so I've, I've got a question about um, girls and maths, actually, because as you know, there's been a lot of research over the years that has shown more or less that sometimes girls feel uh, they have no, um, they don't want to pursue maths when they get to secondary school and so on and so forth. And I think things that have changed probably more recently, but I wonder what your thoughts are on that and what your experiences are around the kind of gendered aspect of maths. Do you, any, any thoughts on that? Um, I, I don't have particular expertise. Um, uh, thankfully, my school now is mixed for sixth form, so I do have experience yeah. of, of teaching boys and girls for, for A-level, and I've, I've like half of my, my tutees for, in my tutoring services are, have been girls. So, um, and it's, it's interesting, the differences. I kind of feel sometimes the differences are overemphasized. I, I kind of, in the different students I teach, I, I, don't, I don't feel that much difference in sort of how those different students learn. Um, I kind of find that the girls are often more diligent um, in terms of, like, if you communicate a particular method, like, girls often kind of follow it um, 
much better than boys do, I, I find. Uh, whereas with boys, maybe sometimes they're a bit more creative in their strategies. And I, I don't want to come any kind of gender stereotypes at all, at all but that, that's personally my experience with some students. Um, and, and that's not black and white. Like, like my female students are very varied in, in how they are at mathematics and the same with my male students. But I think that's maybe some of the trends that I've detected. Um, I think um, when it comes to sort of making girls feel that they want to pursue uh, a degree in mathematics, I think partly our role as, uh, as educators to sort of, in, with going back to enjoy and achieve and, and making them realise that actually they can really enjoy mathematics and um, kind of trying to get around certain societal pressures or societal conventions in terms of, oh, if I'm a boy, then I'm, I'm more likely to want to do mathematics and it's more of a boy thing when really it isn't. Um, and I think it's, it's quite hard because some of the issues are, are more pervasive in society that, that there's not really an easy fix. And I think that's why just general kind of awareness campaigns about women mathematics and, um, and promoting that, I think is key to try and get around those kind of misconceptions about maths being a gendered thing when it isn't. Yeah. No, that's great. I absolutely agree with that. And I think a lot of progress has been made because of this raising of awareness within teacher training, within the teaching profession. It's, it's, it's been, I think, some very positive um, moves there. So Liz has got a question for you. Um, going back to, um, I guess, your return to school this week. And how did you find teaching remotely, given your experiencing experience of running Dr. Frost Math? So so how's it been for you going back this week? Um, no, I, I, the thing is because the traffic on my site has been so ridiculous recently, um, we've, we've, I can have anything up to like 15,000 simultaneous users and like over 3 million hits a day. So it, it's a bit ridiculous, but thankfully, um, at least there's a kind of a honeymoon period this week where I've gone back and it seems that, um, teachers are slightly holding off their emails because they're kind of getting adapted to going back into normal teaching. Um, and then a lot of lessons are not taking place because students have been tested and stuff. And um, so I think this is the honeymoon week. So um, I'll, I'll be more in place to, um, a better place to answer that question next week when I think uh, things start to go back to normal. Um, but it's difficult. Like if there's a urgent fix I need on the site, I can't do it until I get home. Um, and um, just trying to do two jobs at once is is incredibly difficult and emotionally draining to be honest um yeah. so it is something as i sort of turn into a charity I'm, I'm i'm trying to delegate more and more of what i do because at the moment there's there's effectively two full-time teachers who run the site and um it's not quite sustainable but doing things about that thankfully yeah no that's good good to hear it it, uh, it certainly sounds like a huge uh, workload and um and I guess, uh, you know, this week for children is, has been quite challenging coming back, connecting mm. with their friends again. There's a lot of other things that need to go on before we even get to the kind of uh, teaching bit. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge all around. Um, another question here uh, uh, from somebody in the audience, uh, no name on this one, but um, any tips for how to encourage more people from the corporate sector uh, especially high flyers, however you want to interpret that, to bring their skills to teaching? Um, I think it's just raising awareness in the media. In fact, um, uh, off the back of a, a Times interview I had, um, I actually had someone who's in the corporate sector saying he really related to my experience of, 
of someone who was working in a bank uh, with a nice, nicely paid job and um, feeling that um, you were just kind of a cog in a machine. And he said he felt exactly that. Um, and he, he's now applying for kind of teacher training courses. Um, so I think it's just um, raising as much awareness as possible in the media. Um, and I think the government investing into these kind of um, uh, get into teaching campaigns that they should spend a lot of money on it because um, and just kind of like real people's experiences. Um, so teachers using examples of teachers have been in the corporate sector and then gone to teaching rather than just people just started teaching straight out of university. So um, I think it's also about emphasizing the fact like the, the kind of what the positives of teaching are, because I think some people associate they um, falsely that with teaching with, um, I don't know that, that, that if you had a, a if you're really a real kind of high-flying skill set that you wouldn't be in teaching um, and I, I've kind of got comments like that in the past I remember when I was about to go into teaching and I got phoned up by this quant uh, sorry this headhunter for a quant job saying oh I want you for this quant job um, and I said I was going into teaching and he said well that's noble but and it's like but what and um, and it's it's just completely rubbish because goodness like um, I've learned so much mathematics in my teaching career, uh, the kind of in intellectual stimulation it brings and the kind of variety of skills you need to do it effectively is, is, is really hard going to be, to be a, an effective teacher. Um, and it's just really rewarding. Um, like if I compare it to my corporate life, you just can't compare it. And I think it's just getting people in the corporate sector to realise that, that actually um, that, um, okay, you might be taking a bit of a pay cut, but teaching is not that badly paid. I think that that's a misconception often. Um, and just making those people realize that actually, I think we might just have lost Jamie for a moment. So I think one of us has cut off. Oh, yes. are we back? Yeah, we are. You're back. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did I? Um, yeah, it says my internet connection is unstable. No, don't worry at all, Jamie. This happens. Um, uh, we're all used to it by now. But I, I think you were just mid-flow, uh, uh, and you're making some really, I think, I think points that we consider every day at the IOE. You know, how can we challenge some of these uh, misconceptions about teaching and the. Um, uh, I think that that's where we left off with you. But, but do, do you want to finish off uh, what you were saying? I, I don't know why I cut off, but I <laughs> think worry. I was just trying to emphasise about getting people in the corporate sector to realise all the really great qualities about teaching. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's a challenge. It, it is a, a wonderful profession, but I think um, it is also, uh, which has come through strongly, I think, in your work, uh, a commitment and a vocation, you know, a passion um, and I think if you have that, then yeah, it's it's an absolutely wonderful uh, career. Um, great. So um, here's a really interesting one. Uh, in the UK, it's okay to say I can't do maths in a way that's not for literacy. Oh, that's interesting. How do you feel about that? Um, and what could be done to change that culture? Do you agree with it to start with? Uh, no, I know I don't agree at all. It's interesting that I my my PhD background is in computational linguistics, which is um, how we take human languages and use maths and and, and such and, and computers to do cool stuff with it. And um, it's interesting, like the kind of works of Chomsky, how he takes of language and 
and the idea of kind of generative grammar and, and, um, and how we can then actually apply mathematics to sort of like understanding language and stuff. And um, I kind of feel like how we understand mathematics is, is similar how the, uh, the brain is innately wired for, um, for language. Uh, and I, I, I must admit, I don't have, I can't cite papers for this. So don't this worry. is not like a sort of academic paper such. But um, I think if, often I, I think an important thing about how we communicate a concept is in mathematics is how we can enable students to kind of like internalize it. And, and it might be visualizing in the sense of like, when we deal with negative numbers and we have, I don't know, minus three plus five, and, and we kind of might want students to visualize that as starting at minus three on the number line and moving up five places. And often when you talk about like temperature, like students understand negative numbers much more. It's like, oh, oh I understand how to do this now. Um, and that's just like a really simple example, but it's, it's thinking in with different mathematical concepts how we can explain it in a way that allows students to internalize it um, and internalize it in a way that their brain can just sort of see it in the same way that they see language. And, and I kind of feel like that everyone is capable of that. Okay, some people are always gonna be better at mathematics than others, but um, often I've, I've had people I've taught where they said, oh, I just, I'm not gonna be able to do that. And you explain in a way that suddenly they say, oh, okay, I do understand that now um, because maybe, I don't know, it just been explained in a sort of overly methodical way. Um, it's all about teaching for understanding. And, and I kind of feel like the way we understand mathematics is actually the, similar to the way we understand language and, and, and the way we internalize it. So uh, the, the provocation here from the person asking the question is, um, how do you stop maths being seen as a dry subject? And I think you're, you're disputing that straight away. I, I guess it's about uh, bringing it's about bringing maths to life, isn't it, for mm. those students, either visually or through application to problems and so on and so forth. Um, I don't know if you've got some examples of that that you could share, um, which would then, uh, I suppose, reject the idea that it's a dry subject. I don't OK, know. well, I am. Um, I have something called um, uh, I call it a uh, frost true life story. So um, it's basically different when I, in my kind of resources I produce, like different examples of where I, I've actually encountered a problem where I've had to use that maths to solve it. So the example, um, uh, trigonometry say, um, and I talked about how I, um, I was trying to make this kind of like digital clock and I was trying to work out the coordinates of where the points were for the clock. Um, now I think I was in year nine at the time as, as a student. And, and I didn't know how to solve it because I hadn't learned trigonometry yet. And then I learned in lesson, it's like, oh, I can apply this to my clock. And then I managed to finish it. So I've got this story in my slides. Um, there's one of like about the, um, the binomial distribution where I was in the holiday in Hawaii um, about a decade ago. Um, and there was like, we found that out of the 10 of us, like eight of us were left-handed, which is like, thought was remarkable. And so like, what's the chance of that? And I said, well, ah, challenge accepted. <laughs> and let's work it out. Um, even John Lewis once, they, um, um, they wanted to um, work out, this is 2012, like during the Olympics, and they wanted to work out with these trading cards, like how many cards someone would have to buy on average um, before they had the complete set. And it turned out to be something like, they used some quite advanced mathematics, like harmonic series and stuff. So I, I kind of always talk about this when um, in sort of like lessons on probability. Um, there's even like, like, I was playing Assassin's Creed, a game on the PlayStation, um, and there was um, some like sliding rings puzzle. And then I talked about to my students how I had to invert a matrix in order to solve the last one because I couldn't be bothered to like experiment. Um, 
that's how much of a geek I am. Um, so all of those are slightly advanced examples in terms of the mathematics involved. But um, uh, I kind of feel like, because the thing is with, with real life scenarios for other things like Best Buy, it's kind of quite obvious like how we'd apply that to real life. I think it's often the more advanced concepts that students often say, where would I use that in real life? And, and, and sort of often it's a challenge like of finding that, that kind of interesting real life scenario where, where you've used that more advanced mathematics. Yeah, and I mean, I guess what you're saying is it's tapping into um, the culture of, of young people and children, not just applying a kind of real world, our real world uh, template on, onto things because it's got to make sense for them, right? So, mm. and I always remember, I must share with you, because I, I come from a sort of primary early years background and I remember, uh, uh, you know, we give these little plastic coins to children in the role play area. And, and of course, what they're doing is swiping a card when they're playing shops because these coins really uh, don't make a lot of sense because they have, you know, they see their, their kind of debit cards and so on that the parents using. So it's like keeping up all the time with, with what really makes sense to children and young people um, as they're learning their, their mathematical concepts. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really fascinating. So can we just switch now to thinking about the kind of global reach of your um, uh, work? Because clearly you, you know, you're all over the world with with your um, Dr. Frost work, and um, I mean that in itself is is phenomenal and incredible. Uh, but I just then wonder if you've noticed any real differences in the way that students have used the resources in different settings, different countries. Uh, have you noticed different attitudes to maths? It would be really good to hear a little bit about that experience. I think. Um, I think at the moment, although it's used in many countries, often those schools that use it are British international schools, so they have quite a British curriculum. But I have had to look into sort of other country syllabi. Uh, in fact, I've got like an Australian um, textbook on my bookshelf, um, which is quite unusual. And it's actually interesting to see that actually, although sometimes the questions are stylistically a bit different, that actually there's still much in common that our different countries syllabi have. Um, and you just have to go a video, I don't know, on videos produced by say Khan Academy, which is, is very big in America. And actually the way it explains it is like not that much different to like what an English, how a UK teacher might explain things. Uh, he does it very well. Um, so um, I think it's sometimes the style of questions are, are quite different. I've noticed, for example, in Khan Academy, sometimes the way they ask the questions, like just, just feels quite different to how we might, might do it in the UK. Um, then uh, sort of the big thing to come out, say um, Singapore, you've got, you've got kind of the idea of mastery and it's gradually becoming more popular um, in this country. Um, the idea that, um, I don't think it's unique to Singapore in terms of its origins, but the idea that we cover topics um, in such way, in such a depth that, that we kind of ensure that all students get it before we move on. Um, that's probably quite a naive interpretation of it. Um, but, but mastery is something that's been increasingly become big in this country um, and sort of trying to model it on kind of Singaporean teaching. Um, it's not a, a, an area I have expertise on. However, because in my kind of international expansion, one of the key areas is working with different um, departments of education and exam boards in other countries um, in order to make sure that actually, if you're not a British international school overseas, you can still um, make the best use of my site. And, and that's over the next year, that's a particularly big area of expansion. So uh, this time next year, I'm hoping to be an expert on um, uh, the kind of syllabus and, and, and style of teaching of, of many different countries. So um, that's gonna be absolutely fascinating. 
um, really, just to see exactly how different countries teach different things. Well, that will be amazing. We'll have to get you back to tell us about that, because I think that is, um, it seems like uh, a, a great next step for you, having got this experience to sort of widen that reach. Um, and, and, and I guess that's one important part of your future plans for Dr. Frost Maths. But what other plans do you have? Um, that's probably enough. Um, but <laughs> uh, it's obviously developing all the time. It's expanding, which in itself is challenging for you. But where would you like to see it in a year's time, apart from being more global? Are there other changes you would make? Um, I think that the, the big thing over the next year is how it scales, um, particularly from a staffing level. Um, so some of the roles I'm trying to kind of contract out is, um, for example, this key skills stuff. It's been so successful with schools because it's been a like because it, it caters for all kind of um, abilities, really, um, and, and the way it kind of supports students so well um, and it sort of automates the process. So I can, it, it, what's nice about it is that I can um, sort of hire programmers that can work on that stuff in isolation, um, who also need to be kind of good teachers as well. Um, I'm also kind of in hiring sort of regional coordinators who can deliver the training in different regions so that it's not all contingent on me delivering it. Um, and um, so scaling up from scaling up from a staff perspective, um, there's sort of various new features that I want to develop and such. Um, I want to finish all the videos for the key skills platform with these worked example videos. Um, but potentially, and this won't be the next year, but um, expanding out to other subjects eventually. So I also teach computer science. Not many people will know that. No. Um, and I've made lots of resources for that. So that's going to separate within the next year, separate out to a separate site, dotsfrostcs.com. Um, <laughs> But um, like longer term, like after a year, it would be nice to expand to other subjects like physics and biology, but that's something I have no expertise on. So um, that will just require me using funding to hire the right expertise for that. Wow, fantastic and sounds exhausting, um, but yeah, um, and very exciting too, brilliant. And you mentioned skills in there and we've had a question actually about the debate around curriculum, um, whether it should be knowledge led or uh, skills-based uh, or both? What are your thoughts about the relationship between skills and knowledge um, in the maths curriculum? I thought, because I saw this question floating on Twitter, the poll the other day, and um, I was sort of thinking about it to myself and I'm thinking that it's really hard to distinguish between the two. I think people think of um, knowledge with stuff you remember, whereas uh, skills are stuff, sort of the way you apply that. Um, but I kind of think they've part of the same parcel, really. You take, like, I don't know, um, something in geometry, like I don't know, cosine rule, like trigonometry to work out an angle in a triangle. Like, the, I suppose the knowledge is knowing the formula and then the skill is like sort of applying it. But I kind of feel like we shouldn't separate the two, that they're, they're, so, they're so interlinked that, that is it, I'm not, I'm not sure how helpful it is to actually make that clear distinction between the two when it's really all part of teaching. Um, I, I haven't answered that question very well, um, partly because it's not something I've thought enough about uh, or have any expertise on. But my, my own particular impression is that, that I, I, I don't really distinguish between the two. No, I think that's um, a view shared by uh, many of us, really. I think it is quite hard. There's a slightly polarised debate in some quarters, but actually, um, even in the examples you've given, it's quite clear that 
you know, there is a strong relationship between both. You need some knowledge, but you need skills also um, to support that knowledge. So hopefully we've addressed that question that came through. And we've had a, a question now from Anirud Netty. And uh, former student of mine, by the way. Oh, <laughs> right. You reckon it said evening, Dr. Frost. So that's why. So, so uh, OK. Um, will you ever expand to university maths? And a bit of a PS here could really do with your slides right now. <laughs> it's interesting, like when I started at university, I almost had like a nervous breakdown because at school, you're like, students really have, I'm not gonna say have it easy because some students struggle with school maths, but like it's made so much easier at school than the university level because in terms of the support you get from the teachers and then modeling examples, and then you get a question that sort of like relates to that example that's been modeled, etc. At university, you don't get that at all, um, depending on where you go. Um, and um, like I would go to lectures, like not understanding half of it and sort of just jotting down stuff on the whiteboard and then sort of, uh, going home and having to just think for like sometimes hours about these problems and sort of almost kind of like understand it myself rather than it, it's, it's very different to how students are taught at school um, and it does make you think that actually yeah it, it, it would be interesting if there were more resources out there to support um, university students in these different topics. Um, I, I'll be honest I, I think it's unlikely that I'll be expanding there anytime soon because that my reach in terms of trying to expand to other subjects in other countries is already a, quite a mission in itself um, but it is maybe it's something I would consider in the future. Do you think then that there is a big gap between school maths and then obviously it becomes you know we have this phrase pure maths and so on as they go through A levels and into university but there seems to be quite a big gap or a step up into university mathematics. Mm. I mean it, it what can we do about that? Because um, clearly uh, there's there's a gap there that perhaps there could be some additional work uh, for, for students moving on or, or do we need to change the way we teach at universities? Possibly, it's interesting, I've, I've, my um, brother-in-law, he uh, was doing an open university, he's actually did a computer science degree and he was doing an open university course of mathematics on the side. Um, and I just looked at some of the books he had, that was one on group theory. And, and actually it was, um, it was just really nice to explain because it's kind of taking university level maths and sort of um, teaching in a school-like way, like with examples and then you do these questions, which, which was very different from my university experience. Um, the, the trouble is it gets harder and harder to do it like that as the topics become more and more abstract. So like I was like my first year at uni, like the first month, rank nullity theorem, like, oh my goodness, so abstract. <laughs> and um, and um, it, it's harder to teach these super abstract concepts in that way. Um, so it kind of, I think it goes back to the idea I was saying of, of, of how we enable students to internalize maths. Um, and I think that problem becomes much more challenging when you get to university level maths because it's so abstract. And sometimes uh, as because as, I'm, I'm not a genius mathematician, like I've often had to like just think for ages about something before it just suddenly clicks, um, um, particularly with, with university level maths. And it's, if there was someone who could sort of describe it in a way that, that would make it accessible, it, it, it's hard. Um, I think it's partly because um, um, I had some amazing lecturers at university, but but sometimes they're not, they don't have the same skill set as a school teacher might have in, in terms of knowing exactly like how students think sometimes, um, because their 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 main task is, is as a kind of 
research and not necessarily as a teacher. So um, it, it's hard. Maybe it's about kind of training for university lecturers and in terms of um, the same kind of teacher training that, that the school teachers would get. Um, thinking about that, um, but also maybe thinking about, um, yeah, how can we maybe produce some more university accessible materials that, um, and I think Cardin Academy has been very successful in that, yeah. in, in producing videos on these very high level topics and putting them in a very um, an easy to understand way. So I guess your answer to uh, Annie Rood is that you haven't got any slides for. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, maybe Dr. Frost Maths could develop something to help in the transition or, you know, I can see all this, uh, not, not that you haven't got enough to do, but, you know, there's clearly uh, something there, I think. Um, yeah, okay, that's, that's great. So let's just think about AI for a minute. And I have to say that that's an area that I, I don't know a great deal about. But um, we have a question here about um, how do you think AI would help with students learning maths or in teaching? Can you see any kind of applicability? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got a lot to say about this. So there's multiple different ways in which AI can be used. Um, firstly, I think AI can be used in how we um, assess what students know. So um, one of the, the, the hardest problems I had to solve is like the idea of algebraic equivalence. Like if you have a question like this, expression or equivalent how do you know it's the same um, and that's a really interesting problem it's it, interesting I did my fourth year ma master's dissertation at university on um, automated marking of GCC biology papers and, and actually I had a load of data from an example real data and someone actually typed up all the student answers like how many marks they got for each of these questions I think there's one question like say fertilization and I was trying to sort of like um, use AI to kind of have a mark scheme um, to learn a mark scheme for these particular questions. And it's much harder for, for written-based questions. So that, that's one area. How can we use AI to, to uh, assess what students have done to mark it? Like, um, I don't know if it's is English. Like, is there some way to kind of assess the, the quality of what they've written, et cetera? That's one big area of research. Um, then the other area is about then how do we sort of um, help student in students in, in, in working out oh well, there's another way of kind of working out what their strengths and weaknesses are so um coming up with a model of what the student knows um what they're good and bad at and then you've got the third thing which is then somehow automatically suggesting material for the student based on that model of what they know um so it might be that um i don't know each week you have suggested tasks for students so we noticed you were you were quite you struggled with these particular concepts maybe you should practice this particular thing. Uh, it might be sort of how we work out how to choose the best possible questions for students automatically. And so I've, I've done a bit of work in that. Uh, and that's something that I do want to expand because I, I do use a fair bit of AI on my site, but, but AI is a kind of area where you can always make improvements. Um, so I think there's this huge opportunity in terms of how we can help students uh, and make use of AI. We, we use AI has helped us in so many other ways in everyday life. And I think Google are particularly instrumental in that. Um, I don't think it's been used so much in education. And I think there's amazing potential to tap into that. And maybe in teacher education. And um, I mean, obviously uh, not everybody has the knowledge or the experience of AI to be able to access that with young people. Uh, do you see some potential there? to include it as part of 
the teacher education programs. Oh, so you're actually saying um, teaching AI to, to students? Well, just to, I, I guess I guess just having greater knowledge of the potential. I think probably, um, you know, is, is there an opportunity there uh, so that teachers feel more skilled and more up to date with the latest technology and knowledge about this? Yeah, I think that if uh, I think what you're saying is that if there was AI in in available technology, how we sort of train teachers to kind of make the best use of that. Yeah, is that another potential area? Yes, and 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 as as the amount of AI on my site grows, um, I'll be making sure that um, my the training that that I, either myself or or other people working for Doctor Maths are delivering um, will sort of help teachers make the best use of that. Um, effectively for their students. Yeah, I mean, we certainly can't ignore it because it's becoming increasingly part of all of our lives, for sure. Um, so here's a question from Wes. I don't know if that's another of your students, but um, the question is, as e.g. KFC for fractions or the use. Does that make sense? Um, I'm sorry, uh, my, my, I, the, the signal was bad then. Could you, sorry, could you just re quickly repeat the question? Shall I, yeah, I can read that again, yes. So this is from Wes and uh, as a physics and maths teacher, uh, Wes gets really frustrated with shortcuts taken in maths, e.g. KFC for fractions or the use of triangle for formulas. What are your oh, that's, thoughts? That's interesting. Like, the particular, um, <laughs> I've less opinion made on the KFC thing, but um, the triangle for formulas, I, I actually have a, I'm strongly in favour of those. And, and the reason is, I, I talked earlier about internalisation and, and often with, for example, um, changing the subject where um, let's just say students had, I don't know, they have, they want to make X the subject, so get X on its own, and they had, I don't know, Y equals three over X. Um, now, some teachers absolutely insist that they have to time three by the X, so they have X, Y equals three, and then divide by the Y to get X equals three over Y. Um, now, I, I always do start by teaching that and making sure they're understanding, like, okay, what am I doing to each side of the equation, etc. But then I actually say to them, okay, well, if, I've, if you've got like um, eight divided by four equals two, how could you um, swap two of those numbers so you've got another division that's still the same? And they say, oh, well, it's obvious. You did eight divided by two equals four. You can swap that number you're dividing by. And like, just by giving that concrete example with like very simple numbers, like people like in everyday life, they're able to do that kind of switch in their head um, that like they can see eight divided by two is four, therefore eight divided by four equals two. Um, and we can therefore make that same kind of switch with algebra as well. So if you have three over X is Y, then three over Y equals X. And I have no problem with that at all um, because um, if, as long as students understand how to do it in the full way, then if they want to do that algebraic shortcut, if you like, where there's still very much understanding going on because they're seeing that the sort of like interchangeability of, of things within effectively a kind of like implicit triangle. So I have no problem with students using that triangle because I don't think it it removes the kind of sense of understanding from the question. Um, I just think it helps them kind of visualize it, internalize it better. Um, KFC is an interesting one. Um, so that keep ch ch uh, flip change. Um, and 
the thing is, like, if you if you didn't use that, you, you can sort of prove exactly how you divide by fractions. But ultimately, the, the certain thing, actually, this comes back to the kind of skills versus knowledge. Like, there's certain things in mathematics where actually we're doing it on such a, a kind of um, so regularly that actually, when I'm doing division fractions myself, I would just keep change flip like that that's what i would do oh chaos is unhelpful because the letters are in the wrong order aren't they um but um uh, that, that's exactly what i would do when i was divide my fraction i'd turn the divide into times and just reciprocate um that that second argument so um yeah there, there's another document i read and i think it was produced by um a bunch mostly american educators about a, a whole list a massive like 60 page document i don't know if you've seen on it um, of like variety of tricks and, and teaching methods that they don't like. And, um, uh, and I was reading through it and there's some I definitely agreed with, um, but there was a lot that I disagreed with as well. Um, and I kind of feel like in mathematics, as long as we have an understanding what's going on and we ensure we teach it that way first, that actually a lot of, I don't like to call them tricks, but, but there's, it's, it's kind of part of being of having sort of dexterity in mathematics that we're able to do these things, to do mathematics in a, a kind of quick and methodical way. And often they lead to less errors as well when we use some of these tricks or shortcuts, if you like. Um, so I think my rule with this is that if using that method would prevent students from understanding the concept properly, we do not do it. But if it's um, a some kind of means where they already understand the concept, but allows them to be have more dexterity in mathematics, then great, do it. That would be my assessment. Brilliant. And real dexterity there in giving examples. And I don't know if I completely followed some of the maths in there, but I do. I've, I've got the point. And, I, and Wes, if you have any uh, thoughts on what you've heard, please put it in the slider and we'll try and pass that back to you, Jamie. But that was a really interesting uh, uh, question and answer. So we've probably only got time now for a couple more questions. And um, uh, we've had quite a lot about teaching and teachers. So this is really to focus on parents and carers who, of course, play a huge part in the education of children at all ages and stages. Um, they've all, children have got a huge amount to overcome. We've said that already coming back into school after another lockdown. It's been a really challenging time uh, for families. So what are your top tips uh, to help parents and carers get their children really excited about and engaged with maths? Um, if they want to be excited about maths, um, I think there's different ways. If you've got maybe students who are explore, want to explore a kind of broader mathematics, um, there's some brilliant YouTube channels. So um, some of the most popular ones are Numberphile. Uh, they produce absolutely brilliant videos on a, a variety of often high level math topics and sort of trying to explain in a very down to earth way with like animations and stuff, which is great. Um, I think my favorite YouTube channel is, is Free Blue One Brown. Um, and um, it's, a, it's an American educator who, who makes these animations to explain all sorts of high level concepts. Um, and I sometimes show them my A-level classes before. And it, sometimes they take the most difficult things. Like there was one which was about, it was kind of a harder one as ones he produced. And it was about this um, Olympiad, like international Olympiad problem. Uh, and it was this particular question where the very top math, math, mathematicians, student mathematicians in the whole world, like most of them couldn't do this problem. Um, and then he sort of, he sort of explained the solution one person had um, that it just seemed so simple and he explained it in such a clear way um, but it's also just really exciting like he takes all these um, different really interesting problems and explains it in a 
really engaging way with animations and um yeah i remember like there's this one problem if you take like one over one square plus one over two square plus one over three squared and then add those all up up to infinity and you get pi squared over six and he explained it using lighthouses and like light coming out from lighthouses in a circle and just like isn't that amazing um so in terms of students who want to have that broad understanding of maths, there's, there's, there's plenty of YouTube channels um, of different levels. So number five will do kind of simpler topics and harder topics. Um, Free blue, one brown is kind of the same. Um, and then for maybe people who might not quite want to have that sort of extracurricular interest in maths, um, there's lots of kind of gamification, like Manga High, for example, um, they sort of gamify um, lots of different kind of mathematical things. Um, and um, on my site, for example, like there's DFM Live that students really love, um, kind of being able to play um, play against each other and sort of get points and stuff. And um, uh, teachers love doing that with their students. Um, and um, yeah, no, I think that's it. I think those YouTube channels, um, I think these online platforms have really come into play during the lockdown in particular, but I kind of feel like they, they are, are quite key in terms of kind of engaging students um, and, and in terms of like different systems we can use to galvanize students and being enthusiastic about that, whether it's points or trophies or whether, or use of games. Um, I think that's a, a big way forward in terms of um, student engagement and student enjoyment and student achievement. Yeah, uh, thanks, agree. And I think we heard in your video that um you know, Dr. Frost Maths and the way you, you've worked um, and the pandemic and what that's given us a very different learning experience, I suppose, um, will change learning and teaching um, in the future. And I think we're, we're all aware of that. It's just how we can um, capture all the learning that we've, we've had in very difficult circumstances. So lots of ideas there for um, parents. And I think you know, learning is all, it is about enjoyment and, and, you know, capturing and recruiting young people to the learning experience and sharing that powerful exchange between teacher and learner. So, um, so thank, thanks for talking about that. Final question, I think, before we have to finish, and that is, what advice would you give to anyone considering teaching as a career who might be listening in today? do it <laughs> it's um i i think it's just um i would say spend some time at school um and i've i've heard people who've like visited a school and then they've been maybe slightly put off and i'd say that happens and go visit another school because not all schools are the same um and um and and actually when you visit school actually maybe even ask like could I teach a portion of a lesson because that's what I did um, when I was doing my PhD I didn't just ask can I visit a school I said oh could I actually teach some lessons and and this is back at my old school as a student uh, and they said yeah they, in fact I think I've taught about like like eight lessons that week um, um, and that's quite untypical but um, if I had I not had that time to just like have the experience of maybe teaching a portion of a lesson then I might not have, have had that same kind of interest so um, yeah, contact some schools, maybe even ask if you can teach a, a tiny bit of a lesson just so you can get that flavour of it. Um, and just realise that that there's so many positive attributes about it. Brilliant. That's a great way to finish. Um, I need to tell you that we've had a, a very wide audience from Nottingham to Saudi Arabia and I'm told Sittingbourne. So welcome to Sittingbourne, whoever you are. Um, it, it's brilliant to have had this wide engagement, uh, national and international. 
and it's been brilliant to hear you um, uh, respond to questions, uh, Jamie. It's you know, it, it's an incredible achievement, but it's a kind of day job as well that you're doing that is so important, um, enthusing the next generation of math mathematicians. And um, you know, I, I have every uh, confidence that this is going to grow and develop in the way ways that you describe and I wish you the very best of luck with that and I hope that we can stay in touch at the IOE you know we're very passionate as you know about teaching and um, and uh, it would be great to follow your work and I must also say a very warm thank you to Varki Foundation for making this possible um, um, we always love working with Varki and uh, it's been been great that we've been able to host this event so um, any final words um, before we finish um, no, thank you so much for having me and, and thank you for for fascinating conversation. I'd, I'd, I'd love to speak further with you in the future. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much. And thanks to our audience, uh, wherever you are, and for some brilliant questions. We covered most, not all. So apologies for those who didn't get a question um, tonight. But um, And uh, this will be available after this meeting for, for other people to watch. So thanks again, Jamie, and thanks to our audience. Good night. Have a very good evening, everybody. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast from the UCL Institute of Education, University College London.